Hello, and thank you for listening to this CD from River of Life Church. If you enjoy this disc, we want to encourage you to share it with a family member or friend. Also, visit River of Life this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. For service times and directions, visit riveroflifefl.com. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 3 John. And today we will finish our study of these books of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And I want to begin today by reading the entire book of 3 John. Now, we call it a book, but it's actually a letter. It's a personal letter and a very short one at that. It's a personal letter written to a man by the name of Gaius. And two other men are named in the letter. It's written to Gaius, but he also calls out the name of a man by the name of Diotrephes and a man by the name of Demetrius. And John has some personal words to say to and about all three of these men, and it all has to do with hospitality. This is the third message I've preached on the subject, and this will finish up our study with John. Hope you have your Bibles open by now. We'll begin in verse 1 in the book of 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you, do, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Now, in this little short personal letter, three men are mentioned. First of all, Gaius. And Gaius was an example of Christian hospitality. Notice verse 5. He says, Beloved, and he's talking to Gaius now, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. 
And then we find a man by the name of Diotrephes, who was actually hindering Christian hospitality. Look at verse 10. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, uh, uh, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, listen to this, this is a strong statement, putting them out of the church. And then finally we have Demetrius, and he was a faithful servant. He was probably the one delivering the letter from John to Gaius. And inside the letter, there was a personal recommendation that he was a servant of God deserving of hospitality. Verse 12 says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. Now we have three guys in this letter. We have two good guys and one bad guy. We have two that are serving the Lord in the truth. One of them is showing great Christian hospitality, which is taught all through the Word of God, loving people, caring for people, helping people, ministering to their needs. And and then we have one who is shunning people. He, He won't even, he won't help anybody and he won't even allow the church to go there. He, he doesn't want the church to be generous and giving and loving and hospitable to people. And then we have another guy who's actually delivering the letter more than likely, and he's a minister of the gospel who's worthy to receive Christian hospitality because he's walking in the truth. And I hope you remember that this is the all-important issue with John, and that's truth. Now, three guys, two of them are good guys, one of them are bad guy. Now, friends, you can count on this. Satan will always find somebody to fight against the work of God. He always will. He'll always be able to stir somebody up and motivate them to be a hindrance to the work of God that's going on in the church. Show me a great work of God anywhere in the world and speak to the leadership of that movement and they will tell you that they are battling somebody who's fighting against the work. And quite often it's somebody on the inside Diotrephes was the bad guy on the inside of the church who was fighting against the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last week we looked at Gaius. Do you remember what all we said about Gaius? Gaius was a man who loved God. He loved the truth. He loved people everywhere, even strangers. And he opened his home. He was generous. He showed great hospitality to the brethren, to brothers and sisters in Christ, to those who were the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ for those who were ministers of the gospel and even to strangers. And we're told in this letter that he's the one we should be imitating. Look at verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does does evil has not seen God. You see, friends, he who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. Now, if there's ever been a a day and a time in, in the church when that verse needs to be read, it needs to be read now. Because I want you to know we live in a day and a time when many want to separate their faith from their actions and their behavior. We have people everywhere today who want to say to us, and they do say to us, it's in my heart. It's what's in my heart that really matters. 
It's not my actions. It's not the way I live. It's not what I do. It's what's in my heart that matters. Well, friends, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say that. The, the, the Bible makes it very clear. He who does good is of God. And he who does evil has not seen God. You see, friends, whether we like it or not, our actions tell the whole world what's going on inside of our hearts. It reveals whether we're walking with God. You see, those who do good are of God. And he says those who do evil, they haven't seen him. They don't know him. They haven't met the real, true, living God. And, and what John is saying to Gaius and to us is that if you're going to imitate somebody, imitate somebody who's actually doing good, not just talking about it. Somebody who's walking the walk. They're not just talking the talk, they're walking the walk. They're living it out. Now what I want to do this morning is spend most of the time talking about this guy, Diotrephes, the second guy, the unholy guy. But there's one little thing I need to point out before we get to him. And that is, it's something in our text that if you're not careful, you'll almost miss it. You'll read over it so quickly, you'll miss it. And it's in verse 7. Notice as, as I read verse 7. Because they... I just want to pause right there and just tell you. He's talking about the they here. Those are the ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the true servants of the Lord. Those are the ones who are carrying the banner of the cross, so to speak, because they went forth for his namesake, talking about the namesake of Christ. They go forward in Jesus' name, carrying the truth of the gospel, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Now, in this context, do you understand what the word Gentiles mean? A Gentile was somebody who was outside the movement, outside the faith. The Gentile was somebody who didn't believe. And what he was saying is these true faithful servants of our Lord God, they went forth in his name ministering throughout the country and they would take nothing from the Gentiles. The point that John is making is this, is they didn't go to a lost world and ask the lost world to support the things of God. That makes sense? Listen, friends, you and I, we do not go to a lost world, an unbelieving world, and try to raise funds for the kingdom of God. We don't do that. We shouldn't do that. That should never be done. We don't go to an ungodly government and ask the government to support the church. We should all be absolutely aware of this and that is that our God does not need the support of those who do not believe. God doesn't need the support of those who don't believe. Therefore, we don't have to stand on the street corner. We don't have to put a table outside of Walmart and ask for donations. We don't have to sell light bulbs, wash cars, or have spaghetti dinners to try to raise funds. We don't have to do that. That may be all right for other organizations, but not for God's people, not for the church, not for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the world can go to the world to support worldly things, but God's people are not supposed to do that, ever. God has a, a wonderful and simple plan for funding His church. It's called 
God's people supporting God's work with God's money. It's called tithing. It's real simple. God's people supporting God's work with God's money. And I can tell you, friends, when a church is healthy, when a church is obedient, that church will never have to go outside the fellowship to a lost world and try to raise funds to do the work of the ministry. And, and the context here is this. And that is John is saying this is the reason we should demonstrate great and gracious uh, and generous hospitality to the servants of the Lord, those who are true servants, those who are missionaries, those who are evangelists, those who are in the full-time service, those who are really and truly teaching the truth and preaching the truth. We, we should be trying, we should be generous and hospitable toward them and support them because we don't ever want the true servants of Christ to have to go to the world for funding. See, we, we don't have to do that. And by the way, I'm not trying to get a raise this morning. I want you to know and every member of our staff would stand and say amen, and that is that this church is extremely generous in the way you take care of us, and we thank you for that. This is not about getting a raise. This is about us being sensitive to those who may not even be in our fellowship. But when we identify people who know the truth and preach the truth and teach the truth and stand up for the truth regardless of how much criticism they get, we should be helping them. We should be generous. We should be hospitable. We should be reaching out to them. And I can tell you, this one guy, Diotrephes, didn't like it. And he didn't want them doing that at all. And so I, I, I wanted you... Uh, to see that. Now, I want us to look at, uh, oh yeah, and let me give you one more reason. We should support them, not just because they, they should never have to go to the world for funding, but look at verse 8. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. See, two reasons we should help the ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we don't want them going to the world for funding, and we want to be a part of the good work they're doing. We want to share in that work. Now we'll look at the characteristics of a diatrophies, an ungodly leader. I, I want to read this to you. I, I, this was just so profound, I, I didn't want to take a chance of messing it up. Uh, some writer wrote these words, and this is the contrast between Gaius and diatrophies. As graciously hospitable as Gaius was, so ungracious and unhospitable was diatrophies. They are poles apart. They are absolute opposites. Gaius is seen knowing truth, walking in truth, loving the truth, entertaining strangers who, uh, entertaining strangers who are faithful ministers of the gospel. Diotrephes is seen loving himself, refusing to allow anyone to come in. The affection, the response of the congregation, which he wants for himself. Wow, what a difference. Uh, look at verse 9. Again, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Do you know the first thing we learn about Diotrephes? The first thing we learn about him is he always wants to be first. He always wants to be in charge. He always wants to be control, in control. He always wants to be the head. He always wants to be the top dog. He, he always wants the preeminence. He loves the preeminence is, is what this says. L listen, 
That's what he wants. That's what he loves more than anything else. And we're going to learn something here today about this. This Diotrephes, and it fits thousands of Diotrephes down through the years, and that is they always want to be first. That's more important than anything else, and they will fight to the very end to be first and to be in first place because it's the one thing they love. And I will tell you, friends, churches, thousands of churches down through the ages have split because the enemy strategically put a diatrophies in the church. I've just got to share this with you. I read this a couple weeks ago, and this is both humorous and sad. It's about a church split. A hundred years of Christian fellowship, spiritual love, godly unity, and community growth ended last Tuesday in a fit of congregational discord not to be rivaled in this century. Holy Creek Baptist Church was split down the middle. It is said that one could hear that rip a hundred miles away. The fist of discord has pounded an army of Christian soldiers into two groups of estranged members. The source of dissension in this once holy house of God is a... You want to know what they split over? A piano bench which still sits behind the 1923 Steinberg to the left of the pulpit. Friends and relatives said it's just a shame that it had to be over a piano bench. At present, Holy Creek Congregation will be having four services on Sunday. They normally had one Sunday morning service and one Sunday night services, but now they're going to have four services. Each faction will have its own separate service with its own separate pastor, since the head pastor is not speaking to the associate pastor. By the way, friends, don't ever go to a church where the head pastor won't speak to the associate pastor. Each will have their own service, which will be attended by factioned members. We're told that the services are far enough apart that neither group will come in contact with the other. They won't even have to meet in the parking lot. An outside party will be moving the piano bench to different locations and appropriate positions between services so as to please both sides and avoid any further conflict that could result in violence. Do you understand it wouldn't matter if they had ten services in that church that they would be better off to close the doors and to quit having church? Better not to have a church than to have a church that's rebelling against the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Better not to have a church than to have a church filled with people who are more in love with what they want than they are with what God wants. Oh, friends, that's the kind of stuff that takes place when you have an ungodly leader in a church and sometimes more than one ungodly leader leader in a church who loves to be first more than he loves the truth. Do you understand when you look at these three characters in this letter, it states very clearly that Gaius was a man of the truth and he loved the truth. He's the first guy. The last guy in the letter is Demetrius. He loved the truth. John said we bear testimony that he's a man of the truth. But the man in the middle, Diotrephes, do you know what it says about Diotrephes? 
It says he loved to have the preeminence. He didn't love the truth. He loved to have the preeminence. That's what he wants. That was what was motivating him. Uh, Look at verse 9 again. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Friends, when I read this, I can hardly believe this. This arrogant man in the church who somehow worked his way into leadership is rejecting the very Apostle John. He's rejecting him. You see, John says that he wrote a letter, perhaps more than one letter. He sent it to the church. But Diotrephes wouldn't receive the letter. Diotrephes would throw it away. He wouldn't allow it to be read to the church. Why would Diotrephes do that? Because he loved the preeminence. He wanted to be first. John was a threat to him. He didn't want John influencing the church. He wanted to be the major number one influence in the church. You see, John is trying to separate this church. I mean, excuse me, uh, Diotrephes is trying to separate this church from the apostle that was to lead this church. Can can you understand that? He's trying to separate this church from the apostle who probably founded it and established it. The apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Diotrephes doesn't want to have anything to do with this man who actually walked and talked with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine What if you had the opportunity? What if you had the opportunity just for five minutes to sit at the feet of somebody who both walked with and talked with the Lord Jesus Christ and saw Him in His earthly ministry? Wouldn't you just melt at the feet of somebody like that? But not Diotrephes because because John is a threat. So he wouldn't even allow his letters to be written. Do you understand that the reason this letter of 3 John is written to Gaius, the godly man, is because Diotrephes, the ungodly man, would not receive the letter. It's amazing to me. I can hardly believe it. Look at verse 10. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. He was just constantly badgering John and talking negatively about John and not content with that he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church this man was a control freak this is what we know about him he loved to have the preeminence he always wanted to be first he does not receive uh, receive or work with other spiritual leaders he rejects spiritual authority He speaks negatively about other spiritual leaders. He doesn't care who he hurts or runs off. He is not hospitable toward brothers and sisters in Christ. He forbids the church from helping others like they should. He does not have a burden for the ministry, the lost, the poor, or strangers. He runs people off who threaten him and his authority. Wow. Now, I just want to stop right here and tell you something, friends. This may be one of the most important messages you ever hear from this pulpit. Because what we're doing is we're reading about something that should never take place in the church of Jesus Christ. 
You see, a diatrophies, and let me tell you this, I know this from experience, a diatrophies can be a man or a woman or a pastor. A diatrophies is somebody who has manipulated their way into leadership. God certainly didn't appoint them. A diatrophies is somebody who has a stranglehold on the church, the leadership of the church. A diatrophies is somebody who always has to be first, always has to be in charge, always has to be in control. They don't care who they hurt. They don't care who they run off. They have no respect for spiritual authority. Things like unity, harmony, things like evangelism and reaching the lost and working together. Those things are never most important. Being first is most important. Preeminent. I thought about one time, and I decided against it, but at least I'll leave you the thought. I thought about having everybody in the house to raise their hands if you've ever met a diatrophies, but don't do that. But friend, it happens all the time. A young pastor, God calls him into the ministry, and he prepares for the ministry, and he gets ready. He gets ready to serve God in this holy calling that God has placed upon his life. Maybe he goes to school, he's ordained, he's set aside for the ministry, and he's so excited, and he goes to his very first church. He goes to his very first church to be a pastor, and quite often he runs into a diatrophies, a diatrophies who lavishes him with support and honor and praise as long as he does exactly what he's told to do. And the moment that young pastor takes a stand and disagrees with the reigning diatrophies, he has a dangerous and destructive enemy inside the very church which he has come to pastor. And that diatrophies in that church will do whatever it takes to get him out of that church. And before he even knows what hit him, He's outside of the church. A young man of God has run into a demon-inspired diatrophies. And the church suffers because of that. Wow. It, 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 it shouldn't be. It just absolutely shouldn't be. The diatrophies approach to crippling churches has been one of Satan's most effective methods. Friends, I can tell you, I can tell you the enemy is busy in this area. It's one of his best methods. You see, just take some man or woman that can be easily inspired to be first, to be in power, to be strong, to be influential, and the enemy can begin to influence them. And they will begin to manipulate their way up in the ranks of leadership in a church. And the enemy will use that to keep that church from following Christ. You see, when you have a diatrophies in the church and the church doesn't do anything about it, the church can't follow Christ. You can't have but one who is preeminent in the church. And, and that should be Christ. And in every church, you will have one who's preeminent. You will either have Christ who's preeminent or some man or woman who wants to take the place of Christ and control everybody and everything that goes on in the church. 
Wow. Are you sufficiently depressed? I want you to say amen if you know, if you know what I'm saying is the truth and you've ever been in a situation like this. Amen. Man, if you've ever been there, wow, wow. Now, what do you do with the diatrophies? This is the most important part of the message, so don't miss this. What do you do with the diatrophies? You deal with him. You deal with her. You do whatever you have to do to deal with them. Look at, uh, I think it's verse 10 again. Just the first part of verse 10. John says, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he does. When you read that, can't you just sense the righteous indignation in this elderly apostle? He says, when I come, when I come, I will deal with this. He, he was saying, when I come, maybe he's saying, if I have to, I will come and I will deal with this and we will deal with this face to face. John is saying, and I won't deal with it with a letter. I'm going to come. I'm going to get in his face. I will confront him. I, I love that. He says, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds. John says, I won't forget what he's doing. I'll call to mind his deeds. Diatrophies will be dealt with. And it won't be just a letter. It'll be face to face. Now, I don't know about you, friends. But if I knew the Apostle John was coming to get in my face, I would be shaking in my shoes. I would be horrified. I'd be firing him a letter back saying, no need to come, I've repented in deep sorrow and repentance. I know. No, I, 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 would, be, I would be horrified. Listen, listen. These original apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ were mighty and powerful and miraculous men of God. All of those first apostles walked in the miraculous. It was part of establishing the foundation of the church. The Roman historian Pliny and the early church historian Tertullian both gave accounts of what happened in John's life. They both say that the Roman emperor, Domitian, had heard about John, heard about all the things he was doing, and, and Domitian was threatened, so he sent his soldiers. They took John, they brought John to Domitian, and he interviewed him and questioned him, and John so unnerved him and so frightened him, this holy, godly man who had walked with the Christ he so intimidated the Roman emperor that the Roman emperor ordered him put to death immediately by boiling him in oil. It was a horrible means of execution. They took John, they put him in a cauldron of oil, and they started heating it until it started boiling. But both of these historians, Pliny, the Roman historian, and Tertullian, uh, the church historian, both of these historians tell us, they say, that the oil seemed to have no effect on him. That John just refused to die. Have you ever had been splattered by hot oil? Wow. They said it had no effect on John. He refused to die. One of them said, John instead put on a show. He stood up in the boiling cauldron of oil and began to preach the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to everybody there. Now, the critics say they find that hard to believe. I don't. You see, I remember reading somewhere a story about three young men who were thrown into a fiery furnace. 
And the fire had no effect on them. And when they walked out of the fire, they didn't have the smell of smoke on them. So I know God does stuff like that. It's not recorded in the Bible, but I know that could have happened. According to these historians, it did happen. What we do know is that Domitian didn't know what to do with John, tried to execute him, couldn't execute him, and he was so afraid of him, had him exiled to the Isle of Patmos, not even knowing that was in God's plan. There on that Isle of Patmos, the blessed Lord Jesus Christ would reveal himself to John in his glorified state, and John would write the book of Revelation. It's all a part of God's plan. Now, my whole point in this, my whole point, listen, you got to hear this. My whole point in this is the Roman Empire was afraid of this man, but Diotrephes has the audacity to completely write him off and ignore him. Wow. Wow. This man whom Jesus had personally chosen, Jesus had anointed John. Jesus had empowered John. Jesus had chosen him to be one of the original apostles who would lay the foundation of the church itself. And yet Diotrephes totally rejects him. Wow. How foolish. How blind. How ungodly. You see, friends, one of the things we learn from that is, is there is no limit to the gall and the audacity of a demon-inspired diatrophies. See, you either love the truth or you're controlled by something else. And there just seems to be no limit. Now, let me tell you, what do you do with the diatrophies? You deal with it. That's what John says. John says, when I come, I'm going to deal with this. Church has to deal with it. I, I want to give you one of the most beautiful examples that I personally know of of a church dealing with the diatrophies. And... It was in my own ministry. It was early in my ministry. I was in a church. Revival began to break out. Some good things were happening. People started coming. Do you know when revival breaks out, people come from everywhere. Hungry people. The world's hungry. This dark and dying world is looking for some light. They're looking for some truth. We started having revival and people started coming out of the woodworks. I mean, all different types of people. All different races. People on all different levels of... uh, of life. Poor people. People that didn't smell good. People that didn't bathe. Homeless people. I'm serious. It, it was incredible. And we had this guy in the church who was a diatrophies. And he was working his way up in leadership. And he came to me and he said, Pastor, I don't like this. We, this is a white church. That's when you want to back up just in case lightning strikes he was a racist he was a bigot he didn't want anybody in our church that didn't look like him live on the same economic level that he was on didn't smell like him he he was the worst kind of a diatrophies he said pastor we got to stop this and i said we won't stop this we will continue this and the moment i said that he turned on me like a viper Within a couple weeks after that, and by the way, he started his campaign in the church. It was just crazy. Everybody knew he was so mad. Within a couple weeks, we had one of those infamous Baptist business meetings. Now, friends, I love the Baptist. 
I just don't love their business meetings. <laughs> have you ever been in a Baptist business meeting? Whoo! Lord, have, by the way, if you have never been in a Baptist business meeting, thank God. <laughs> He's been good to you. Are you going to think I'm making this up? I was in a Baptist business meeting one time and there was a written report that had been submitted and somebody stood up and said, there is a typographical error in the report that's been submitted today and, and I would like for us to correct that. And a significantly large group of people in the church voted against correcting a typographical error in the report. Why'd they do that? Because the diatrophies on this side didn't like the diatrophies on this side. Whatever he wanted, we want something else. I, I mean, it's just crazy. Well, anyway, we had one of those infamous Baptist business meetings. I'm not making this up, folks. And I'm moderating, and I stand there, and we're about halfway through the meeting, and he stands up. Diatrophies stands up. He said, uh, he said, I want to make a motion. He said, I move that we fire Pastor Jones tonight. That's what he said. And I'd never been in anything like that before, and it kind of unnerved me a little bit, but I, I remembered what I'd been taught about Robert's Rules of Order. And so this is what I said. I tried to gather my wits, and this is exactly what I said, verbatim. I said, we have a motion on the floor. I said, if we have a second to the motion, we can discuss the motion and we can vote on it. And I said, and if there is a second to the motion, then I will ask somebody else to serve as moderator. I'll step outside. You can discuss it and vote on it. But first, we have to have a second to the motion. It got real quiet. I saw him punch his wife. I saw her shake her head. I said, let me make this clear. If there is no second to the motion, the motion will fail for lack of a second and we will deal with other business. Now, one more time. Is there a second to the motion? And it got deathly quiet. His face was as red as my hair. He was so mad he could bite nails in two. I waited about 30 seconds and it was a long 30 seconds. I would say, please, God, don't let anybody second this motion. Please, God, please, God, don't let anybody second this motion. And then I said, with a great deal of poise, the motion fails for lack of a second. We have other business that we need to take care of. And, and, and the reason I share that with you is because that was just absolutely beautiful. It was monumental in that church. The whole church together in one accord even his own family knew that he had stepped over the line and they they would not follow his leadership and that night they dethroned a diatrophies in that church and he got up and stormed out of the church he hated me to the day i left that church i'm telling you he hated me listen woe unto you when all men speak well of you you remember that what the Bible says. But I'm going to tell you, that church went on to have revival. That church went on to see some mighty things of God. It's one of the greatest revivals I've ever been in in my life because a church made a decision to follow God and not a man. Here's what you get, friends. 
When you follow a man, and I'm not even talking about a diatrophies at this point, I'm talking about any man. When you follow a man, you'll get what a man can give you. When you follow Christ, you'll get what heaven can give you. Oh, friend, that's what you'll get. I, I want to end by giving you a warning today, a warning for all of us, and that is that if you are a strong leader, for those of us who are strong leaders in the church, and I just got to tell you, I've never been so excited about the future in my life. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about the future in this church is I've never been in a church that has as many strong leaders as this church does. And I, I think that tells us something about what God is doing and what he's getting ready to do. But here's the warning. For those of us who are strong leaders in this church, we have to be very, very careful to make sure the enemy never leads us down the pathway of a diatrophies. If you are a strong leader, then turn this page down in your Bible. Draw a circle around this paragraph and this uh, chapter in your Bible. Make sure, make doubly sure that what we've read today about diatrophies is never ever true of you. And I can tell you, friends, if you are a strong leader, and remember, I'm putting myself in this group, if you are a strong leader, sooner or later, you will have to battle at this point. The enemy will confront you, and you will have to battle, and you'll have to say no. Sooner or later, you will have to, contrary to your human nature, you will have to submit to your spiritual nature and submit and follow somebody else. You'll have to understand that in a good, healthy church, there's a plurality of godly leaders. There's only one supreme leader and a plurality of godly leaders. And all of those godly leaders have to submit not only to Christ, but they have to submit to one another. They have to work together in one accord. And so the warning is, if you're a strong leader, be careful. Be careful. And for those of you who do not think you are a strong leader, there's a responsibility for you too. Here's what, here's what your responsibility is. You have to make sure. I'm serious. Even if somebody gets mad with you, you have to make sure that you never follow the leadership of a diatrophies. You have to make sure that you don't follow his leadership or her leadership. If somebody always has to be first, always has to be right, always has to be in charge, always has to be in control, they always have to be their way, it always has to be their way, that person is a diatrophies. The church can only have one who is preeminent. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because I've been a preacher a long, long, long time, and I know how you think, I have to say this. Because I know what's going on in some of your heads right now. You're thinking, I wonder who the diatrophies is in our church that the pastor's trying to get a message to right now. I wonder who he is. I wonder who she is. And I want to tell you, friends, if you want to know who I'm preaching to, I'm preaching to no one. And I'm preaching to everyone. Because you see, Friends, that I know of, and I thank God for this, that I know of, there's not a man or woman in this church who fits the description of a diatrophies. 
And may God help us to stay that way. And if we can stay that way, if we can stay that way, where Christ is supreme, then the days are glorious and wonderful for us in the future as we follow our one and only preeminent Lord and Savior, as we follow Him, His Word, and His truth. He and He alone is worthy to lead this church, and no man can be entrusted with that responsibility. A plurality of godly leaders, one supreme leader, many leaders bowing down before one supreme leader, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.